Good morning, everybody. Um, today, it's the next day. Today is Tuesday, September 18th. And it is, let me check the time, it is 11.47 a.m. And right now, I'm headed to the library to meet with Don, um, the guy that I've mentioned a few times on this podcast who had that back and forth with Yellow Bag on the Iowa Cold Cases website. Um, you probably heard me mention his name um, in my meeting last night with Yellow Bag, Ron, and Mark. Um, so Don is the person I'm going to meet with today, and we're going to go to the library, and he's going to show me some of the microfilm on the Johnny Gosh case. <laughs> nice to meet you. Hi. Good to see you. Good to see you. Find your way okay down here? Yeah, I got a little lost. I got I missed my turn. And yeah, there's uh, a lot of, I should have told you to park over there. I totally forgot about it. It was a lot easier. Yeah. Alright. This is where it starts. And uh, I'll show you how this works. Depending on how you wanna I have it adjusted for my my blind eyes. <laughs> this is the uh, it's like a minute way to do it and this actually is you know, this goes a lot more so if you get you find a point here then this just okay. kind of adjust it okay uh you know you know that but that just kind of does that i did this uh about three years ago i was realizing like every other day and i got really far and i just got so di just i was like i can't believe this is like the most ridiculous yeah it's so like so what i did was i threw my notes away i go i'm done with this you know because yeah. it's almost like being addicted to something you know? yeah it's like so i uh threw my notes away and i didn't bring them down because of the rain i don't know how you know how bad it was going to rain when i got out of here so but i have a pretty good idea especially at the beginning the second time i i did this i got towards the end of this month september this is the first day and it, it goes there's a story, whether it's on the front page or the third page, pretty much eight or nine days in a row. And then there's a break, about 10 days, until you get to September 22nd. The reason I wrote that down was it's the first time that they uh, quote Noreen. Okay. It's also the first time when the story started coming out. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know how far you're going to get today, but there is a, and I haven't come across it yet, but you might get to the point, and I might check it out um, later where there's uh, the story I mean uh, John senior talked about how they would go out in the middle of the night on you know because they get a call yeah well she had stories like you know they, they would take money to a phone booth or she would take money to a phone mm -hmm. booth there was one where uh, two psychics from two different states called her with identical information on where Johnny was buried mm -hmm. it was next to a creek two churches a silo and a water tower she, for some reason, figured it was this spot located next to Living History Farms, which is north of here. It's a historic site. The Pope actually spoke there. Oh. And uh, so John and a bunch of volunteers go out there looking for him, digging and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing. But it was interesting that, she, you know. Well, was it, was it just people digging? Did they have any, like, dogs sniff around or, like? Well, on that occasion, I don't think so. But initially, and you'll you'll see, and this is this is what's amazing. I mean, I just picked this up. I haven't picked this up in, in years. Yeah. I just well, first of all, I just want to point a couple things out. 
Um, yeah, my friend is a librarian, and she was able to find a copy, so she has one at her house right now. Have you read any of this? I've read a little bit. I read the beginning. I read the introduction by John Zielinski yeah. and some of the first chapter. Um, well, anyway, and this, this date can't be right either, because she mentions you refers to Eugene Martin in this column and that's yeah. 82 and so I don't yeah. know what that's all about East is, did you go see the bottoms? you did yeah, oh, yesterday such a yeah. beautiful tourist site oh yeah here? gorgeous <laughs> well that's east of here mm-hmm. that's east of Marcourt and 42nd yeah. and uh, where Millhouse had his route on the east side is northeast yeah. so I was just interesting with the planes but I don't think that, that means anything but um, just do you have any questions this is really high tech <laughs> yeah. this is a slower one so, but this is where it all starts. So I want to answer something before you get into this. Yeah. Isn't it, aren't people's accounts of what goes down more accurate the closer you get to the event? Yeah. Or do you think it, people, um, it does, you mentioned the Mandela effect. Yeah, and it does seem to me that, um, especially looking back at some of the early reports, that um, everything does, from the early reports that I've read, seem more straightforward it's not this whole case really didn't go completely off the rails i think until paul bonassi got involved and that was when and that was like 89 around that yeah yeah um i agree (laughs) um i've been thinking because they stayed married for 11 years yeah after this yeah and i'm thinking that's what was because when i heard the interview just telling his voice, he was just like. You can just tell that they still have the deep, deep bitterness. I think it's because of that story, though. Yeah. Like it started everything because I think they were a pretty cohesive unit for a few years after it happened. I mean, mm-hmm. they did stuff together. So anyway, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and it's it's incredible that you've got some of these former paper carriers to come out. It's helpful. I don't know. Oh yeah, definitely. Like. Um, you know, Yellow Bag and uh, Chris Burge too. Chris Burge is like, is you know, Chris? Chris was like, the whole thing was wrong from the beginning. I saw Johnny walk past my house. Oh, yeah, but that's the thing. Now that when you read the first day, there was no, there's no eyewitness. Unless you find something, there's no eyewitness that said that man came out of the bushes. Yeah. Was it possible? Because she, she says that she went and talked to people that were at the scene. Mm-hmm. Is it possible? you could have led them on that, that's what i'm kind of thinking too because i talked to um mike seska's brother his younger brother that was an interview you did um on the podcast right yeah yeah and even he was saying that um you know he was kind of suggesting well it's possible that the police didn't really know where to go maybe somebody like led my brother to because chris that said report. he never was his family, his family were never interviewed yeah. by cops right yeah like that's i think that's what he said yeah and, and, and he was always because he's in contact with the bozen brothers too, right. kevin bozen and uh i've seen some of the emails between chris and kevin bozen and even kevin bozen says um all we saw my brother mark and i we walked up 42nd street we saw johnny standing there about to get his papers and then we kept walking. That's all we saw. Like, nobody saw Johnny slumped over the wagon or sitting on the yeah. wagon or anything like that. And this P.J. Smith character, his house was right across the street. Right across the street. And it was possible for him to see because... Yeah. Because his window, second. his bedroom window, like, faced so right he, there where it happened. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, and, God, I wish I could ask him this, but 
Chris and his father and his brother in that car preceded the abductor yeah, by well, that's a second. That's so exactly is it impossible somebody yeah. on the corner saw that car? Well, I mean, I guess so, because that's another thing that I think about, too, is that, um, you know, the, the whole report that the car was going back and forth on Ashworth and then somehow was able to loop right. back around heard, heard to Markworth. That. Yeah. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense, though, because if you're driving all around the block right. and on a quiet neighborhood at six, 6 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning, right. somebody's going to see you. So logistically speaking, that just doesn't make any sense right. to be doing that. So Well, it's interesting, and let me know if you get the same impression. Police... I don't think it's the first day, but a couple of days ago, police were looking for two cars. Yeah. And the blue Fairmont was the car that sped down Ashworth towards 39th Street, took a turn. Which way, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. sure if it turned both ways back then. That's another thing I've been trying to do is get a map yeah. of the city. Because my, I, when I lived here back then, I hung out in the city. Yeah. Or Valley Junction. I wasn't, I didn't come out here. There was, going out to Forest Lake and Mark Garth was at the end of the development yeah you can almost see it if you drive down right that's what we were talking about and that's what like uh chris burge uh, had some old home movies that he showed me some clips oh cool and you had uh he you could see the horizon in some of it and how like um the house is like civilization just kind of stopped after a certain around 50th yeah right by the interstate you could tell by just the structures the way they yeah. Like, you know, there's these old apartment buildings yeah. in 42nd, and then you look. I was talking to Mark Hinshaw yesterday, too, because he, he and I were driving around, and he was even saying, too, it's like, yeah, there was nothing past, like, just this road here. Like, there was, like, past 50th Street. Like, this is where the edge of town was. Which, and you I think, think about it, yeah. what, if, if this was an abduction and a murder or whatever, there's no reason to, for Millhouse or anyone else to travel downtown yeah. To the east side, when if you went west less than a mile, you'd be in the boonies. Yeah, that's, you that's could the other it. disturbing thing, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. And all that development out there now, there's no way you're going to ever find it. There's no way to find it because it could be under somebody's house. You know? It could be under George Creek Mall. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I'm just rambling. I'll let you yeah. get to this. Um, okay. Oh, well, here's already a discrepancy because um, the photo here. Of John, there's a photo of Johnny, and it says the caption says wearing shorts and a T-shirt. And I was given some materials by Ron Sampson the other day. It was one of the original missing persons pictures, saying that Johnny was likely wearing it said it said a sweatshirt and track pants. So that uh, right out of the gate, you've got bad information. And that's oh. the uh, theme of the case. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, something that it brings up here. This is another article. Let me just check, check the date on this. Um, this is, I think, a couple days later. This might be the 7th. Think, yeah, it's the 7th. Okay, so this one is from two days later. And something that's not really commonly known, um, I realized it when John Sr. told me this. Um, it's, he said that Johnny's bag was missing also. Um, and it says it here. Um, this is the article from September 7th, and it says uh, more than 1,000 volunteers spent the Labor Day holiday tramping across thousands of acres looking for a 12-year-old John Gosh and his newspaper bag, shoes, 
or clothing. Um, so yesterday he and I were driving around and I happened to mention that and, and he said, oh, I didn't know that his bag was missing. And then he suggested to me, he told me about a story that happened to him when he was uh, carrying papers one time. He said he was on his bike and he had his newspaper bag around his shoulder and a pack of dogs started chasing after him. And one of the dogs caught up to him and grabbed the bag and pulled it. And it was enough to like choke him out. Like he started to black out it like, and so we start, we're, we thought for a second, we stopped for a second. It was like, maybe that is how the person subdued Johnny because all you would have to do is there doesn't need to be anyone else in the car. You could just be, um, you know, Johnny could just be like on the sidewalk. Um, and it could just be the person drove up was playing some kind of a confidence game. Like, you know, Hey kid, can you show me directions or can I buy a newspaper or something like that? Just enough for him to come over. And if he's wearing his bag, all he has to do is lean over and the person can just reach up really quick and tighten the, the, the strap. And, um, and we actually demonstrated this in front of Ron and Mark last night. Um, I had like my carry on my laptop bag with me. And so like we acted it out, like I leaned over and it's like, all he had to do was like, um, you know, like he's seated, seated in like the driver's position I'm sort of leaning over. All he had to do was like grab the strap and it's like, if I'm hunched over, there's really nowhere for me to go. Mm-hmm. Like if I try to lean forward, that gives him even more of an advantage. But if I lent, leaned back, that doesn't do anything either. All he has to do is tighten his grip and pull me back again. Um, and the way I was standing, like he also had the advantage of gravity, like because he was seated. Um, whereas I was kind of hunched over in a precarious position. And so it really, and, and actually when we were demonstrating this, he, he actually did pull the strap a little too tight and I was like, Ooh, careful. Um, and even like Mark and Ron were saying last night, yeah, that would just take less than a minute before you could knock somebody out. So that was something that, um, I don't think anybody's ever really considered either. That's probably like... You know, that's probably exactly what happened. I bet. I, like, you at this point, you, you, I don't think you could convince me something else happened. Yeah. You know? I thought about that. Yeah. And hence, there'd be no and, and you, scream. Yeah, you couldn't scream either. You got if you got no air, you can't scream, and that would explain why nobody heard any screams or nobody heard any commotion whatsoever. Here's the first mention of a two-toned Fairmont. It says a silver late model Ford Fairmont with a wide black stripe. Wide black stripe, as in not a light blue Ford Fairmont, as everything else suggests, such as the movie. So, uh, yeah, I think, I don't know if it's in that article, but eventually they, they placed that car at 42nd and Marcourt. Yeah. Yeah, but for, after a while, that just disappears. Description. Don't talk so Yeah. Long. I don't forgot when exactly, but it went back just to blue. Yeah. It's always just, they only talk about a light blue Ford Fairmont. It's just interesting the mentality, how much different it was back in 1982, because where does this start? Um, okay. So 
It says, I'm just going to read this for everybody. Meanwhile, the mother of another carrier said Sunday her 10-year-old son had been bothered this summer by a man driving a van. Her son, quote, ignored him and he didn't bother him any further, the mother said. The boy apparently ran across yards to get away from the man. And he's scared now. He won't be going out alone anymore, his mother said. Several other parents of newspaper carriers in the area echoed her sentiments. Quote, it makes you want to say, that's it, I don't need this, but you don't want to let this beat you either, the mother said. District circulation managers called carriers and parents Monday night, telling them of Gosh's disappearance and warning them to be careful. We're telling them to be cautious and don't get in any cars, said Lou Cook, a district manager. If carriers see anything strange, they are told to knock on the door of a customer's home and notify authorities, she said. Um, quote, I've just never, ever thought anything like this would happen in West Des Moines, said one mother of a newspaper carrier. You'd think those would be the safest hours of the day. I just hope they find him and he's well. And I hope they get whoever apprehended him. I'm worried the longer it goes by. Um, it's just so interesting um, that it actually has to say we, like, back then, like, had to tell carriers don't get into people's cars, you know, the mentality of 1982 versus now. It's like that the, the people had to be told that back then. Yeah. yeah. I'm on September 8th now, and it still clearly says that there were two distinctly different cars. It says that they're looking for um, a dark blue full-size car with Warren County license plates. That's the first time I've ever heard of any mention of license plates and a silver late model Ford Fairmont with a white, wide black stripe on the side. Um, so really this first article here, and this is just from a few days after he was kidnapped, um, this is from September 8th, it says they're looking for a dark blue, not light, dark blue full-sized car with Warren County license plate. They don't identify it as being a Ford Fairmont. And they also say a silver late model Ford Fairmont with a wide black stripe on the side. So that's interesting. So it's almost like over time the two cars merged or something into one, into one idea of a car. Okay, I just found the article you were mentioning to me. Um, this is from Wednesday, September 22nd, 1982, and the headline, this is a front page headline, it says, Mother Fears Missing Son Abducted by Religious Cult. And the first paragraph even says, Noreen Gosh said Tuesday that she believes there is, quote, a strong possibility her missing son John was abducted by a religious cult. Um, I do feel it is a strong possibility that one of the groups may have our son, she said. In an interview, there are a number of them that do abduct young people, Gosh said. They do, I've checked. I have been in touch with high sources for the last few days, and I've got some pretty straight information from different parts of the country. Um, so those are like the first three paragraphs, and it's like, she doesn't name a single person. She just says high sources and, you know, very vague. What always struck me as odd is that... So here, and early on, she presents herself as an ordinary housewife. Mm -hmm. Well, 
Well, how many ordinary housewives do you know have these high sources connected to federal government agencies or law yeah. enforcement? Yeah, and exactly. It's just weird. And also, think about this. In, in, in long before the digital age, where news traveled extremely fast, somehow she got the word out. Uh-huh. Almost like Twitter was around, Facebook was around at the yeah. time. I mean, it was only six weeks that passed that she was already on Good Morning America, which is the ABC. Yeah. Mm -hmm. with David Hartman and I just find that Yellowbag sent me a message <laughs> um, you know saying he was going to suggest some people maybe for you to bring on or whatever and I mm -hmm. thought you know what about Patty Wetterling mm -hmm. she's the other side of the spectrum probably the more typical yeah. response I mean she ended up running for state office she won and she ran for congress and lost yeah. but she always maintained a dignified profile yeah exactly and uh, I don't know if you know this, and I, I might have to go back and find this out, but either Noreen and or Banasi claimed that Jacob Wetterling was part of this. Yeah, and that and that even says it in the book. I remember finding okay. it in there. Okay. Um, that so it's, it's mentioned in the book. That's interesting because yeah. the day they confirmed his remains. Yeah, he was found. His local body reporters was found. asked Noreen what she thought. Oh, the day that body was found. Oh, okay. Yeah, local reporters asked Noreen what she thought. She was like, we'll just have to wait to see. Yeah. Because I like, think she realized if somebody out there is doing a research, they're going to know that we thought where yeah. Jacob was taken by the same group that took Johnny. And mm -hmm. Well, that that's sort of the thing that I'm finding with... Um, all these, I mean, and not not just me. There's like, there's hundreds of true crime podcasts that are right. out right now, right. and many of them do take a realistic look at things. Sure. And it's a, like, there's a few crimes that I've heard of that have been solved by podcasting, and like, there there was a podcast going on about Jacob Wetterling, and they it was like, it was they were recording it um, at the same time that his body was found. And really? So yeah, that ended up happening, and um, there's a, I mean, there's a few other ones, but um, yeah, I just remember the day that when news broke that Jacob's remains were found. Yeah. And it's like, and it's it's like the same thing that happened with Aton Pates, you know, because um, Aton was uh, from New York City, and he's like he's actually the first kid on a milk carton. Eventually, some guy confessed to that. Yeah, in New York. Him into a and, and, well, yeah, he was a bodega worker, and he sort of um, grabbed him and just, like, he said he strangled him to death and then th threw him into the garbage. Um, and he, Aton Pates was another one who, you know, got caught up in all the, the stories about, like, right. pedophile rings and satanic cults and all that stuff. And, um, I mean, his body was never found, but this guy, his name is Pedro Hernandez, he's in jail now for it, and even... Um, one of the reports, I read it on one of my last few episodes, that um, it was, it, off of Wikipedia, it says that his own sister even admitted they knew what he did from like the early 1980s because he confessed it at church. Um, and so they, they knew for all those years that it was just a local person. And as it turns out, Jacob Wetterling, it was a local person. Yeah, they had their, it's Heinrichs, his name, they had their eyes on him for uh -huh. years now. So that brings us back to the, our point. Uh, oh, she's not coming over here. She might be there. Uh -huh. um, that someone knows about yeah. this. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
Oh, sorry. You're good. It's sorry. just <laughs> everything echoes in here. Oh, Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Everybody knows what we're talking about. It's like my mom used to scold me. She was a librarian. But when I came to visit her, I was just, you know, I was nuts. I'd be running around. Yeah. <laughs> and just reading a couple paragraphs later, it says, Gosh appealed to members of the cult to return her son who disappeared near his West Des Moines home while delivering the Des Moines Sunday Register on September 5th. I'm begging, really pleading with them to turn him loose. He's only 12. He's not 16 or 17 years old. He's only 12, she said, referring to the fact that John looks older than he is. Um, just the way that first paragraph that I read is written, Gosh appealed to the members of the cult to return her son. It's almost like people are just accepting the idea already that that a cult <laughs> might have been the case. It's like they're not even really like... Well, she's, she's in control yeah. of the story. Yeah. Right from the start, even though this is not right. From the start, yeah. But it's yeah, I mean, this is a couple weeks in, so I mean, it's, it's a good... It's Yeah, it's two weeks in. Like you said, it's not... Either you're going to find the remains or you're going to, someone's going to confess. Yeah, it, at this point, it's, it's only one of two things, and that's and it. You're not so. going to find remains unless someone confesses. Yeah, that's it. so really it's only one, one yeah. thing. It's only a confession that can lead that's to... That's an interesting thing John Sr. said in your first interview. Someone on their deathbed. Someone, yeah, exactly. Like you, he's like, you always hope somebody on their deathbed is going to... For, for what she accused him of, of doing, mm -hmm. it's not just... You know, it's incredible. I just went through a bunch of it real quick. Yeah. For him to maintain any semblance of composure is incredible. I, I would go crazy. I think so, too. And, well, I remember in that first interview with him, I even said, um, I asked him, I was like, you know there's a lot of theories floating around about you online. Like, how do you feel about that? And his he had the best response. He was just like, oh, let them have their day. Like, yeah. anybody who knew me knows better. Did you ever ask him if you ever thought about filing a slander lawsuit? I didn't, I, I didn't ask, but I mean, his answer kind of already said it to me, right. you know? And it's like, he's just like, oh, let him have their day. Any, anybody who knew me knew what it was really like. Um, That's all I've got. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people who are still kind of on, on the fence about how they feel about John, but... I've only had good interactions with right. him. I think I think he's a really good guy, to be totally honest. And I think anybody who says different, I just think, I just think they're mistaken. So. Well, it's, it seems to be a mission of a certain group of people to do this because they're still doing it. it yeah. You know, and so where are they getting these directions? It, yeah. You know? cool guy Don that was an interesting read to see just now um, September 22nd 1982 in the Des Moines Register is the first time Noreen is quoted and really the first thing she's out of the gate already is talking about is religious cults and the paper didn't even question it they went right along with it so if that gives you any indication of one of the many reasons why this story has gone off the rails. That should be it, okay? And um, I think also Don made a really good point because I keep talking about um, Chris is the first person to tell me this. And 
you know, yellow bag showing me the area yesterday and Mark showing me the area the day before and Don kind of confirmed it today. I mean, this was a pretty undeveloped area back then. It's like, you know, there was a lot of houses in the area where Johnny lived, but once you got past like 50th street, it was all still undeveloped. Like it was like an up and coming area. Um, so that being the case, like Don said, you wouldn't necessarily have to drive all the way back to the bottoms to Wilbur Millhouse's place because it's not like what it is now. There was, uh, there was no civilization there like there is now, just past 50th Street. You could have easily just buried a dead body anywhere in that region. You didn't have to go far at all. You just go a few streets over. Um, and which leads me to question, well, what if that is the case? That means, that means potentially there is no way to find a body. If he's buried under a house, somebody's house that was developed afterwards, or like a mall or a shopping center or something, because all of that came after. So that's crazy. And it's like we were just talking about a second ago. Um, you know how I keep talking about there's only two ways this case is going to get solved. A body is going to turn up or somebody's going to confess. Well, really, it's like we just said that really there's only one way. And that is that somebody has to confess because somebody's going to have to confess in order for the body to be found. Um, which I... It's realistic, but it's a little hard to take because that means there's even less avenues into finding an outcome to all of this. Um, you know, you could search the bottoms. You know, we're not discounting that, but you got to think logically, too. So, so we'll see. This was extremely informative. I'm so glad I got to meet him. Um, I need to get out of the driveway. Thanks. I didn't know if you were staying or going. Yeah, I was supposed to leave earlier, but got a little was a little sidetracked. So sorry about that. No problem. I get sidetracked all the time. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning, everybody. And actually, it's not even morning now. It is um, about 1.40 p.m. on Wednesday, September 19th. Just 10 bucks down. I'm throwing a Hail Mary to make my... Your and treating your old car and drive for just 10 bucks down. down. Um, I'm headed down to Mark's office, and Mark and I are going to head over to Sam Soda's house and I'm freaking out a little bit because I don't know what's gonna happen really anything could happen he could not be home we could have the wrong place after all and holy shit I just realized I started driving off and didn't even pull up my directions because I you know, I don't have this place memorized yet. Um, 
something happens. Maybe he's not home. Maybe he just is home but doesn't want to answer the door. Maybe he'll be um sorry. I can't I can't form words right now. Maybe he'll be sort of um guarded. Um alright, just need to stop for a second. Or maybe he will totally talk to us. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. So we shall see. Fuck did I get myself into. Continue on Cumming Avenue for one and a half miles. Sarah? Hey. How's your trip? Doing good. Doing all right. When do you head back? Tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. Look at this interesting story I pulled up on newspapers.com. I don't know if you've seen this one before. Um, James Sakura. In 74, James Sakura. Yeah, it says it says here James Sakura and Frank Sakura. Okay, brothers. they're brothers. Okay, James is Frank Sakura's brother, and it um, everybody. It says at the top here, James S. Sakura pleaded guilt or pleaded innocent Monday to a charge of sodomy in connection with an incident in his home early Sunday. Officials said, um, "Wow, I had no idea about that actually." Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. I yeah. just went on uh, newspapers.com. I just typed in Sakura to see what came up. And so he's got his brother over. He's got all these little boys over at his house to help him with his paper out. And his older brother is molesting all of them. Mm -hmm. And then this Frank Sakura goes on and uh, becomes a pedophile himself. Yeah. And then. But it's interesting, too, though, because something that was suggested to me a while back was that Sam Soda maybe kind of shook down Frank Sakura and sort of like coerced him into pleading into something or admitting to something. Um, so finding this out right now sort of like makes me think back on that like hmm because if, if it was his brother doing it was it both of them doing it or yeah. No, I don't then know. Then again, here you have a, you have all these people involved with the Des Moines Register in 1974, and this yeah. article is in the Des Moines Register. Yeah. And despite knowing the backgrounds of these people, not only do they allow Frank Secord to t to continue delivering papers for him, yeah, but then they uh, promote him up to the position of a circulation manager or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what is all these characters, Wilbur Milhouse, um, this gentleman. Yeah. There's there so many of these actors that they just apparently enabled and allowed to just. Yeah, I, I'm just going to read the rest of it for everybody. Sakura allegedly molested a 10 year old boy who was staying in the home overnight and was to assist Frank Sakura, 27 years old, 
of the same address with the newspaper route Sunday morning, police said. James and Frank Socorro are brothers, police said. The boy said he was awakened and molested about 2.30 a.m. He refused to assist on the newspaper route later in the morning and called his parents, who called police. Police said the boy often stayed in the home overnight to assist the younger Socorro. James Socorro was arrested in the home at 6.26 a.m. Sunday. Police said he was being held Monday in the city jail in lieu of $1,000 bond pending a July 29th hearing, officials said. And the date on this article is July 1st, 1974, all the way back to then. So that's kind of like, that's just insane. I'd never seen this before. And I didn't even know he had a brother or that he had a brother doing stuff like that. What's remarkable about it is now it places this pedophile ring all the way back to 1974. Yeah. So this isn't something that was new or novel to the area in 1982. This was something that had been going on within the Des Moines Register employees. This was going on for a while. For a long time. And it continued. We know... We have a, a start date of at least 1974, and we know it continued all the way up to like 86 or 87. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that, that blows my mind. I had no idea that, for one, Frank Sikora even had a brother or that this had happened. I think a good place to start with Sam Soda might be asking him about Sikora. Okay. Um, because I think that would be a non-invasive way to open the door mm-hmm. and to uh, stroke his ego and just say, you know, we understand that you were one of the, the pioneers and at the forefront of taking down these pedophiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe that's true too. Maybe I had. Maybe I. Yeah. Had, maybe I, mean, I had him wrong. Maybe I had him wrong the whole time too. Yeah. And it very well could be. Yeah. He could have had good intentions and known about some of the seedy underworld and uh, wanted to take some of them down. Yeah. But it certainly seems as though um, there's some smoke to Sakura actually um, being guilty of what yeah. he did. And then wh- I, I looked, I followed up on Sakura and I, I looked at what his criminal charges were, found out they pled guilty in front of uh, Judge Lavarado who was the chief district court judge at the time and then went on to become the chief um, Supreme Court Justice of the Iowa Supreme Court. And he's a good colleague of mine. Mm-hmm. And he's he was well-respected. And he took this showman's guilty plea and sentenced Frank Sikor to 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I think that was on or about 1986-ish. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm ready to go uh, Okay. knock on the door whenever you are. Yeah, I'm ready. So. Let's do this. I... Uh, I was getting a little, like, flustered this morning, so I was like, r- luckily Ron emailed me, gave me a whole script to <laughs> go by. That. Let's see if one of the ladies here wants to come along. We're going, hey, uh, Kirsten, this is, I want you to meet Sarah. Hi. Sarah's the one doing the podcast. Oh, okay. Hi. Kirsten, nice oh, to nice meet you. Oh, nice to meet you. Yeah. We're, we're going to go to that Sam Soda's house. Okay. And uh, see how that goes. All right. I want to see if Sam uh, or Teresa want to come along. Just in case we have a witness if we get shot on the spot. Right. <laughs> right. You know. So, say a little prayer. Yep. Hey, we're going to go talk to that Sam Soda guy. You want to drive us over there? Yeah. Wait, and whose car? Yours? 
I just want you to be there in case he like takes us down so we have a witness that can You want me to go? Yeah. Okay. You can this stay guy. in the car though. Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean this guy's no joke, so yeah. like Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, He's a okay. seedy character. Hey look, it's kinda like last time you went with the other work. Okay, just kidding. Unless you want to go instead, Teresa. Nah, you can take Sam. Or unless Humpy wants to come. What's going on? We're gonna go try and interview the Sam Soda guy that's uh He's involved with the he he was involved with Gosh Deal somehow. Um, yeah. He knows some information or. I mean, I'll go. That's why I want you because I know you're more wrapped yeah, up in it than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so. Have fun. Oh, go ahead. Oh, thank you. So was it um was it Noreen that indicated that Sam Soda called her before Eugene Martin went missing? Yeah, I, I think or that's she, what she alleges. Uh, that's what she alleges. Um, she said, and I think it says it in her book somewhere. I think that's where the information originally comes from. Which, um, I mean, the the book has a lot of bad information in it, so that's why right. it's not to be taken as fact. But she she's always alleged that Sam Soda called her like two weeks before Eugene disappeared. Uh, letting her know that another newspaper boy was going to disappear. And so why? It, that doesn't make any sense. I know, I know it doesn't. Um, I guess we could ask Soda about that today, too. Yeah. So you just tell me how you want this to go, Sarah. I'm more than welcome to talk to the... I'm more than happy to talk to the individual, or I'm more than uh, happy to just stand there and stand guard. Um, so. Yeah, I, I have a feeling I'm. I might draw a few blanks so if you could jump in if it seems like it's not getting anywhere with me um sure. i would appreciate that <laughs> yeah it'll be a little uncomfortable possibly yeah. are you going to tell them that you uh, do a podcast on this um i don't I, I don't know if i should only because when i have mentioned him it was kind of not in a positive light Right. So, and that's the other thing I kind of wonder about too like I don't really expect him to be up on technology or anything like that but I mean what if he's already heard about the podcast right so. right He's very, he very well could be the kind of guy that answers the door with the damn gun. Yeah. And that, that, the first person to, to tell me that was a listener that um, has become a good friend of mine who is really up with all the characters in this whole entire story. And he was the first person to say to me, like, you know, you got to be careful going there. I wouldn't go alone because he could be the kind of guy who opens his, answers his front door with a shotgun. So... Yeah. Yeah. All right. A man should probably park on this side of the street. Yeah, well, here we are. Here's 70, his vehicle. He's 76. So. Nice house. Looks like uh-huh. he gets around in a wheelchair. Yeah. Yeah. Right, let me just look at. Let me look at my script one more time. <laughs> Sorry. Well, they have Holy a gate shit. that says place package between house and steps. Okay, let me just read this 
I'm not going to remember this, what I'm supposed to say. Um, well, I'm, I can talk to him, too. I don't okay. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't guess. be too scripted. You have to be somewhat yeah. relaxed. Yeah, I'm not going to, like, I can't stand there and read my phone. Yeah. So that's... could be couldn't just not be home could um, just not want to answer the door yeah yeah I don't answer the door for everybody either well what do you want to do um I don't know, maybe wait a few more minutes see inside. All I see are the dogs, though. Really Ron and I can always come back, too. Okay, maybe. Um, you know. Yeah, because if he's, if he's not going to answer the door, I guess, or if he's not here, I guess there's not a whole lot else we can do then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. is there someone here? Oh, okay. Hello. Yeah. Are you Sam? Yeah. Hey, Sam. Hi, Sam. I'm Mark Hinshaw. How are you? We're writing a book on the uh, we're writing a book on the Johnny Gosh case, and we came across your name as uh, taking down a Frank Sikora. Do you have any recollection? Of that? Frank Sikora. He was one of the guys at the register that was one of the pedophiles. Oh, he had nothing to do with Gosh. Yeah. Did. Uh, we just wanted to know sort of how that played out with you and how that do you have a minute that we could we're writing a book on on the yeah. giant gosh case so we're reading, we're a book. what 
No, we're reading your own book. Oh, I know. Yeah. We're just writing an independent book. Yeah, we're doing it from an outsider's, like a third-party perspective. I, I, I was so. interviewed by um, one of the major networks. Uh-huh. And they interviewed me for three hours. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. And they never aired it. Really? Really? Because I guess they didn't like what I had to say. Really? Do you want to share it with us? Because we'll listen. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a dead issue. You know? Yeah? And, and Noreen Gosh, uh, it, was, it was a bad time back then. Oh, right. yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. There were a lot of bad actors in town. I, and I, I worked for, for, not worked for, but I worked with Goshes mm -hmm. for months. Yeah. I even went undercover into the federal prison. Mm -hmm. Wow. To speak to a uh, somebody who contacted Gosh. Oh, okay. It was a big story, and it was going to lead to Johnny and everything. And it just fell flat. Well, then I called my friend. I had a friend in, in California, a former Marine buddy of mine, who happened to be uh, in L.A. Police Department. And the address is the. The convict gave her all false. False. Oh, okay. Did you, so how did you get involved with that, um, breaking that, getting that Sakura to prison for 10 years? I said <laughs> something else. You know, the registered tribute tried to hang me. If you go back, they were after me from day one because oh. I spoke openly. Because it seemed People like. People didn't know pedophile. They didn't know pedophile. I, I knew a lot of policemen. I acted different. I looked different back then. You know, I had friends, a lot of friends who were policemen. And I went to the Des Moines Police Department. And I said, man, just, just shits and giggles. What's a pedophile? They had no idea. They didn't know what a pedophile was. You didn't hear the word pedophile. It's hard for you to grasp that. But you didn't hear the word pedophile. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what you do. You go down, go around the side here. Go to the side of the house, and there's a gate. Give me a minute to sure. Okay. dogs in. Sure. And there's chairs out there, and we can sit. Awesome. Great. That would be fantastic. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. I my initial impression is that Sam's a pretty good guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I think I, I mean, I hope I'm not speaking too soon. He is having us go to the back of the house, for God's sake, so... Yeah. Getting old is no fun. Oh, two open heart surgeries. Three open heart surgeries. Oh, I just had my first surgery in my life a month ago. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not something I look forward to doing again someday. Yeah, you sit over there, you won't be in the sun. Oh, oh yeah, actually. So the interesting thing that you the interesting thing that you mentioned that is very, very consistent with everything we've come across in our theory is that the Des Moines Register did not want this story out there. 
they had a whole ring of pedophiles working in the Des Moines Register on the circulation routes, and they just swept it all under the rug. Let me tell you how the newspapers, and again, you know, it's, it's like my dad talking to me, you know, and going back in time. It's hard for you to grasp, just like you, you both looked at me like I was weird when I said they didn't know what pedophile was. Right. The word didn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, back then everything was so different. And the register, in case you, you know, you're like, you, you, you probably, and I'm not talking down to you, either one of you, it's hard for you to grasp what a paper boy is. You know, you hear paper boy, or he delivered the paper. No, man, it was, it was, it was something to be a paper boy. And a paper boy, they folded the papers in a certain way, and from the streets, they would toss them up on porches. That's sure. how good you, And they were kids. Yeah. Kids doing this shit. And I know because I worked for one for maybe a, a month or so. And I was uh, seventh or eighth grade. And my boss, shit, he was maybe in ninth grade or tenth grade. But they, they, were, they were very talented. Anyway, to get to it. The, the papers were circulated, the register would load them on trucks, and the trucks would deliver them to a certain location, on a corner. And some some places had what we called shelter houses. Remember, Iowa winters are a son of a bitch. Oh, sure. Okay, and all these papers, you sat there and you folded them, and you put them in your bag before you took them out on your, on your route. And... Uh, so they they five o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, they'd drop them off. The kids, kids, would be on the street corner <coughs> and wait to get the papers. And that's that that's good hunting ground for pedophiles, especially right. when we 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 in the Midwest, we we. We, we couldn't grasp any of that. We couldn't get our heads around it. Yeah, that shit naive. didn't. That shit didn't happen. I mean, mm -hmm. and it happened in another, another place, right? Another world. Yeah. And and so, all these things. I can go on and on and on about that. Let's turn the page. All these things made it difficult to speak out. And people wouldn't speak out. And I had gotten quite a bit of information. And I'll tell you the honest to God truth. The basis of, of the information I got came from John Gosh. Not Johnny Gosh. John Gosh and Noreen Gosh. Sure. John's father. Johnny's father. Right. Yeah. Named John. Who I, I understand is, was a pretty good guy. Or... Unbelievably. Yeah. If it wouldn't have been for him, I'd have walked. I know, first of all, I, are you from Des Moines? I am. I'm not. I'm from the East Coast. Okay. Mm. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
That's okay. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if it helps, but I was in the Marine Corps, and I was a Marine Corps recruiter in Buffalo, New York. Oh. That's okay. Cold up there. It gets yeah. yeah. No shit. <laughs> I thought Iowa was bad. The Marine Corps and their infinite wisdom. I was three years on Okinawa's beautiful South Pacific Island. My next duty station is Buffalo, New York. Oh, God. <laughs> but, but anyway. Uh, Who'd uh, you piss off for that? I don't know. <laughs> somebody. But anyway, uh, John was an excellent guy. Uh, Noreen, did you hear the story about her and the FBI? Um, uh, no, her and the FBI? Mm, I don't think so. They didn't get along. Okay. She threw a hot cup of coffee at an FBI agent. I think I heard that once. I heard that on uh, on a video I watched one time. Trust me, it's true. Okay. Okay. Now, I don't blame her. Yeah? Really? Because back then, things were different. E- e- even law enforcement didn't didn't grasp everything. Oh, kids are missing. Yeah, shit, he ran away. Because there were a lot of runaways. He ran away, he'll come back. They didn't talk about the ones that never came back. They were hundreds of thousands. They didn't talk about NAMBLA. You know NAMBLA? Yeah, I've heard of them. They they didn't talk about NAMBLA. They didn't talk about, you know NAMBLA? Uh, Uh, You know what it is? Is it the pedophile? North American Man-Boy Love Association. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they openly openly, uh, advocate uh, sex... uh, before eight, before it's too late or something. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're pulling shit out of my mind from 100 years ago. Right. But anyway, I get I get going, I get off subject. But you were sort of, from our research, you were sort of at the forefront of... Um, I was. ...of trying to bring, uh, sort of educate the public and the police and some of the agencies about what really was going on. I, I asked you if you were from Des Moines. You know the big rusty building downtown? Which one? Oh, this. yeah, the Ruan. Yeah. 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 You know John Ruan? No. I do. Personally. Okay. I didn't. But when I became an investigator, I built my business. I was very well known all over the United States as an investigator. Mm-hmm. I had write-ups in newspapers. I throw that shit away. Mm-hmm. But I was very nibble. So my when I spoke, it meant something. And I was smart too. And I had learned enough. After I got contacted, Dagashis called me. And we had a meeting. And after I talked to him, I said, you know, the, 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 this is how this has got to go down. So I called the mayor, who was Pete Cavarro at the time. I got an appointment with him. I called John Ruan with him and Larry Miller. Larry Miller was actually the president of Ruan Corporation. Okay. I forget who else was there. They're dead now, but they're big, big people. And I sat down and I said, this is this is what's going on. And I'm gonna bring it out. And we can start with the fucking I told, we can start with the fucking register. 
you know, they, 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 they put these papers out for these kids because that's what Johnny was. Johnny yeah. was out there right. getting paper. Mm-hmm. And thank God for Noreen. Pain in the ass as she was. Thank God for her. Yeah. Because she let the, lit the candle. It wouldn't go out. But then she she gets crazy. Like she accused me of having something to do with the abduction of John. Yeah, right. And I, it just, I just let it blow yeah, over. Yeah, it seems like as the years went by and the, the pressure and the stress of having that situation just sort of caused And her I to, forgive her. Right. For that. And, that. and that's what I tell people. I can't say anything bad about her. I'm not going to. Right. Uh, let, let's go back to it. So, like I said, I had a, had a good name. And I asked for the mayor. I told him I wanted to speak to the city council. I figured that was a place to start. And I've got that, that tape. And no, you can't have it. I've got the tape of, of when I did that. Mm -hmm. And I was also smart enough to make contact with Channel 8, just Channel 8. And I told them, you might want to come to the, the meeting because there's going to be some things I'm going to say that may be of interest to you. I went after the register. I, I, I was a very good public speaker. I didn't say fuck often. <laughs> but I was a very good public speaker. And I spoke. And I was scripted, of course. I had a script. And I just laid it out. And what's going on? And I I. I, I I pointed out the register and what they do. You know, they, how easy they make it. Shit, the next morning, front page. May not mean much to you guys, but the front page of the newspaper, when the newspaper was a deal, that's something. They hammered me. Oh, they called me everything. Really? Oh, Jesus Christ, me yeah. The register did? The register. Was that uh, Santiago back at the time? Santiago, he worked for the Register, okay? But he was a two-faced little son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah? Yeah. He, he just, that, that was him. Frank Santiago. Sort that, of a chameleon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he, he was still the Register. Anyway, that was the starting of it. And my office was flooded with calls. And uh, shit, I was I was a busy investigator. I, I wasn't here that much. And just so you know, I did things like, uh, I've got letters from John Ruan mm -hmm. of the things I did. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would recover stolen vehicles, catch embezzlers. I didn't watch wives. Right. I started that way. But as I evolved and got more, no, I wouldn't do those cases. Did more corporate stuff. My advance, my money for domestic was $10,000. That'd get about three or four a year. And I'd try and talk people out of it. Right. You didn't need it. It's a non-contested state. Right. You just want to find out who your husband's screwing you. Know? Right. Mm -hmm. you but anyway, back to the gosh. So what I did, I got all these calls. So, a couple of the calls, one was a guy named uh, 
Tomahiti, and he was a division manager with Ruan. And he wanted to know what Ruan Corporation could do. And I told him, you know, right now, I don't know, just contact the register, contact the register. And then I got a call from a woman, Susan was her first name, she was the president of the PTA. And I got a call from other people. And these people wanted to do things. And so I, I, I got together and we formed an, an organization called SCARED. SCARED was, was well known. SCARED is an acronym. Stolen children are reported daily. Mm -hmm. That was scared. And I gave talks. And Lincoln Auditorium, I filled it. Filled it. There are people standing outside. All over I'd give talks. The small communities, Greenfield, Winterset, mm -hmm. all them. I'd fill a gymnasium. Just to get the awareness out of, hey, this is what's really going on, and it's in your backyard. Yeah, and people would call me. And remember this. I never, I swear to you, I'll take a polygraph. I never took a penny. I financed it all. All. I had volunteers, yeah. You know, a lot of good people helped out with those. But uh, I had one organization, and... I can't remember the name, but contacted me from Lincoln, Nebraska. They heard about it. And they wanted me to speak. I was kind of the Midwest expert. And as luck, I got to back up now. I had a lot of contacts back then. And as luck would have it, I had a friend on the Minneapolis Police Department who had a friend within the department. And they had raided uh, some child porn places. I'd never seen any of this stuff. This, is, this stuff is sickening. And I think that's why people wanted me to speak. Because I didn't hold back. I let him have it. In, in my talk, I think there were four of those... Slides? Top type of pictures. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, uh, they flew me to Lincoln, Nebraska, just to speak. And you ask about Frank, what's his name? Sakura. Sakura. That's an interesting story. You know, I'm giving these talks and I'm doing things, trying to make people aware. And then, and then, and then uh, I wish I had some of the volunteers sitting here. It, it got, it worked on me. It got heavy for me to carry. Talking about it all the time. Right. It was sickening. It was disgusting. Mm -hmm. Vile. It was everything horrible you can think of. And uh, the, I remember the last talk I gave, I think, was in Adele. And one of my uh, uh, 
volunteers, Christine Kirkman, had to literally walk me to the stage because I just, I wasn't going to do it. And that was my last one. But I, I, I kept getting, and I kept getting hammered by the register. Well, I don't remember how I, I got the lead or the contact for this Frank. But I wasn't stupid. Remember an investigator, we're not like a, a cop. A cop goes out to enforce the law. 